Welcome to the Littler Labor and Employment Podcast, conversations about employment and labor law issues that impact the workplace. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on when you're listening to us. This is Nancy Johnson again. I am back with another podcast to help all of our listeners hopefully learn a little bit more about COVID-19 and and any responses and and some legal tips you can glean. I'm an attorney at the Orlando office of Littler Mendelssohn here, and I'm here with Kimberly Dowd, also of Littler's Orlando office. Hi, Nancy. In the last podcast, Kim and I discussed political speech as it relates to COVID-19 and vaccinations. And before that, we've put out a couple of other episodes about vaccinations. Today, we want to switch gears a little bit. Vaccines seem to be going well in Florida right now, and, and we just got another vaccine available in the U.S., so hopefully that'll continue as it is. But today, we're going to talk to you a little bit about OSHA, about the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, um, what it's been doing and what it is expected to do in response to the pandemic, particularly as it relates to employers. Some of you listening may be lucky enough to only know of OSHA through its investigations, including whistleblowing generally, and hopefully it can stay that way. But it's clear that the new administration is going to and already has called on OSHA to step up and become a key enforcement tool when employers violate safety protocols that could exacerbate the spread of COVID. As many of you do know, on January 21st of this year, President Biden issued an executive order directing OSHA to examine the need for new workplace safety guidelines, including considering COVID-19-specific OSHA workplace safety standards in response to the continuing pandemic. Yes, that's right. President Biden required OSHA revise its COVID-19 guidance to employers by February 4th and also requested OSHA's response regarding whether an emergency temporary standard related to COVID is necessary by March 15th, 2021. Beware of the Ides of March, Nancy. Although once signifying the new year and celebrations associated with it, the very phrase now evokes gloom and doom for many. Yeah, well, that approach expected to be taken in the new proposed rule will certainly be different from the approach OSHA and the DOL generally took under the previous administration. President Biden has made clear that he wants OSHA to use its general duty clause as a basis to increase citations for unsafe workplaces, workplaces where there's heightened risk of COVID spread, and and it certainly is something that employers need to be prepared for. The, The executive order that did come out by February 4th mandates that OSHA target its enforcement efforts towards larger employers and those with whistleblower complaints. So particularly employers that have had whistleblower complaints in the past and larger employers are are going to be looked at under a microscope. Even with the depleted staff in 2020 and and before, um, OSHA had issued citations arising from just 300 inspections during 2020 for for COVID-related violations, and that resulted in almost $4 million of proposed fines. So it's clear that even under the Trump administration, when the enforcement was not put out as much of a priority in memos and such, that at that point, even fines were were racking up. Um, President Biden has indicated that he wants to at least double the number of OSHA inspectors relatively quickly, and that hiring has already started. OSHA senior advisor Ann Rosenthal recently recommended a streamlined COVID-19 citation process, so things might be moving even quicker. With the promise of more inspectors under the Biden administration and perhaps a more streamlined citation process, the Ides of March warning to employers may be very apropos. 
Yes, and given that President Biden has nominated Boston Mayor Marty Walsh to be the next Secretary of Labor, the first union member to fill this role in nearly 50 years, and soon to be in charge of the agency that oversees OSHA, that may be very well true indeed. Although I should note, Mayor Walsh's background is with laborers and building trades, unions that tend to work more cooperatively with business, and the Greater Boston Chamber of Commerce recognized Mayor Walsh as having a unique ability to build bridges between labor and the business community. Still, it is very likely the number of citations to employers will increase. And Jim Frederick, OSHA's acting administrator, he's been hesitant to commit to what a potential emergency temporary standard might look like. And we'll dig into that more in a minute. But less than 10 days, as you said, from Biden's request on January 29th, OSHA issued new guidance in response to the executive order. OSHA's guidance, titled Protecting Workers, Guidance on Mitigating and Preventing the Spread of COVID-19 in the Workplace, is offered as a first step in the process of addressing the pandemic under the new administration. And as Frederick put it, it is certainly not the last. The guidance largely reinforces OSHA's previously issued safety guidance under the previous administration, but does replace some previously suggestive language with stronger language. That's right. So for example, the guidance now provides that employers should implement prevention programs to reduce the transmission of of COVID. And in case employers are familiar with this guidance, just a quick overview, there are four key elements in it. First, employers are supposed to identify where and how workers may be exposed at work by conducting a hazard assessment. Second is identifying a combination of measures that would limit the spread, including PPE, et cetera, and employers are encouraged to prioritize controls over those things. Third, employers are, are, it's recommended that employers instruct infected or exposed workers to stay home. And then last, employers should implement protections from retaliation and set up an anonymous hotline or a process for workers to voice their concerns. So that's sort of just the four overview key elements to the guidance that's already come out. As you know, though, unlike a regulation, these guidelines provide no legal obligations for employers. The guidance reiterates that proper COVID-19 prevention programs include these things, but there's no mechanism to enforce them yet. And that's where this new ETS will come in, right? And one other thing that that OSHA has is more information and guidance for COVID-19 vaccines. Um, As more employees become vaccinated, employers are going to face a workforce of varying vaccination stages, some fully vaccinated and others not even receiving a first dose yet. OSHA's guidance on that is clear that employers may not, with regard to COVID-19 safety protocols, distinguish between employees who have and who have not received the vaccine. So all employees, regardless of vaccination, should abide by the same COVID-19 prevention protocols that are appropriate for that business, including always wearing masks or facial coverings and observing social distancing protocols and then whatever else is needed in this specific situation. And that's true, obviously, as we've talked previously, that even vaccinated individuals can still spread the virus. Yeah, so it sounds like employers should review the new guidance and use it as a non-binding checklist against their own COVID-19 prevention protocols. OSHA standards protecting employees from infection remain in place, including personal protective equipment, sanitation, respiratory protection, and bloodborne pathogen standards. So employers should continue to monitor OSHA's guidance up to and including March 15th, as OSHA may release additional guidance as it is developed rather than publish a single release. 
Yep, that's right. And then let's go back. So that's the guidance so far that that has no um, enforcement mechanism. But let's go back to our conversation about what's expected on March 14th or 15th. And, and that's going to be likely going to be an emergency temporary standard related to COVID. I think it would be helpful just to remind our listeners a little bit what a temporary standard is. So Normally, a governmental agency has to follow the full rulemaking procedures to publish a new standard or a new rule. This includes initiating events, publication of the proposed rule, public comment period, and then finally the publication itself. It takes months. An ETS is a way to avoid that lengthy process, though, and that's what is expected to happen here. Under this process, if OSHA finds that the workers are in grave danger due to exposure to toxic substances or agents, i.e. COVID, and that an emergency standard is needed to protect them, um, which is what President Biden has suggested, then the agency, then OSHA, can adopt a temporary standard. This temporary standard becomes effective immediately. It will not require all those procedural requirements. And any adopted temporary standard will be in place for at least six months and could eventually become permanent. So all those other things, the public comments, et cetera, those go on during the temporary nature of the standard. With all of that in mind, let's talk a little bit about what we expect OSHA's ETS to look like come mid-March. What can we tell our listeners to, to likely expect, Kim? Sure. Some states, including Virginia, Michigan, Oregon, and California, have adopted emergency COVID-19 standards, and several other state plans, like Kentucky's, have relied upon executive orders for adopting mandates in lieu of a standard. Private employers in these states and approximately 18 others are largely governed by state agencies or state plans charged with enforcing the Occupational Safety and Health Act. Uh, federal OSHA governs workplace safety and private workplaces in the balance of those states, in, including Florida. So a review of these standards from these states may provide a glimpse into where OSHA may be headed. These plans have varying requirements, but include several common mandates concerning COVID-19. Okay, so Florida doesn't have its own agency. We're just going to go under the, the OSHA standard, right? That's, and That's and, right. And so we're just looking at some of these others as what other heads of states have done in order to um, some kind of similar rules that, that we might expect. So what can we glean from some of the plans and COVID-related mandates that are already in place in states, particularly those that might have priorities similar to those that are espoused by President Biden? Sure. And, and that's right. We're just looking at these state plans to try and predict what we might see from a federal standard. So not surprisingly, California sits on the more aggressive end of the spectrum, uh, requiring notification to several parties if a COVID-19 case occurs in the workplace, even greater requirements when there's a COVID-19 outbreak. Um, in most situations, that's three or more COVID tests, or COVID cases, excuse me, in 14 days, including testing employees at the work site and even provisions regarding paying employees while they are quarantined due to exposure to COVID-19 in the workplace. On the other hand, and on the other end, are Oregon and Michigan's emergency COVID-19 standards, which largely reiterate the importance of evaluating a workplace for hazards, providing PPE, enforcing social distancing and face covering requirements, and training employees. In the middle sits Virginia's OSHA state plan, which became permanent on January 29th, the first permanent COVID-19 workplace safety and health standard. This permanent standard requires many employers to, among other things, adopt a written COVID-19 response plan, 
train employees on COVID-19 practices, assess the risk level of employee exposure to COVID-19 in their workplace, and removes the test-based approach, meaning that employers should not require a negative COVID-19 test as a condition of returning to work. Instead, employers must rely on the symptom-based standard that is consistent with the current guidance from the CDC. The permanent standard clarified that face coverings must be worn over the mouth and nose, fit snugly under the chin, and cannot have exhalation valves or vents. Um, it also says that they should assess the employer's sick leave policies, number of shifts, et cetera, to determine if changing those policies will help combat employee exposure to COVID-19. Under the permanent standard, employers must also report to the Virginia Department of Health when two or more of its employees test positive for COVID-19 within a 14-day period. So, Kim, are there any things that we that Virginia standard does not require that we might have expected? Um, yes, Virginia's permanent standard does not require employers to exclude employees from the workplace who have been in close contact with an infected individual and provides no guidance for employers who employees have received a vaccination. The permanent standard does not account for the inevitable changes to the CDC guidance, but instead it offers a quasi safe harbor provision for any employer following CDC guidance instead of using the permanent standard. Okay, so let me try and recap a little bit. Using Virginia's permanent standard as a guidance of what we might expect, we could expect to see OSHA emergency temporary standard to require the following, a written COVID response plan. So an employer might have to actually set forth in writing a plan and adopt a plan that would set forth steps that the employer would take to protect its employees along with whatever other provisions the federal regulation are gonna, is going to mandate in it. And that that standard will have a training component related to that plan. Secondly, I think it's, it sounds like we expect reporting and notification requirements for COVID cases. That's pretty likely for employees and at, at least to report to the local or state health departments, maybe not federal, but at least the local and state health departments when there's more than one COVID case in the workplace during whatever time frame that, that they set out. And then last, it sounds like the plan will likely require workplace assessments. So employers may have to go back in and do a whole new assessment or revisit prior assessments to ensure that their exposure level risks are the same. And that might include reevaluating PPE requirements based on any workplace tasks that are specific to their industry or their company. Does that kind of sound sound right to you? <laughs> yes, that's right. And although we do not have a crystal ball, the state plans certainly provide some insight into where OSHA may be headed with any ETS related to COVID-19. Of course, OSHA can use, as you mentioned earlier, the Occupational Safety and Health Act's general duty clause to enforce the general obligation for employers to provide a safe workplace when there is no OSHA standard directly on point. So while we await whether OSHA will issue a COVID ETS, employers can also take these following steps now. If you don't already have one, adopt a written COVID-19 policy and or a prevention program. A prevention program may mitigate the spread of COVID-19 in the workplace. Hopefully today's podcast has given you some ideas of a good starting point. And of course, Nancy and I can always help you draft and implement one. If you have one, update and train employees on those existing COVID-19 policies and programs. Review your policy and program against the new OSHA guidelines and add any additional recommendations. 
then train all of your employees. Communicating with employees regarding the measures you've taken to keep them safe will not only help with compliance with any future OSHA standard, but also eases employees' concerns. Assign someone to be responsible for COVID-19 issues, including monitoring new and evolving state and federal guidance, as well as the availability of vaccines in your area, and then work to tweak your prevention program as warranted. You can also take a look at OSHA's current PPE hazard assessment. Under OSHA's current PPE regulations, an employer shall assess its workplace to determine the presence of hazards necessitating the use of PPE. This assessment and robust safety programs include specific job task assessments. OSHA has a model hazard assessment employers can review in that regard. So as we're all sitting waiting for the Ed's March to just sneak up upon us in a couple of weeks here, I think, you know, it's clear, obviously, employers should continue to ensure providing safe workplaces for their employees and investing whatever resources they can into identifying and eliminating workplace safety hazards at their work sites in anticipation of these greater enforcement efforts from OSHA. Certainly, one way or another, those are going to happen. Also, in case anyone listening has not been through an OSHA inspection before, just a little tip, OSHA inspectors have been known in the past and, and for, for quite a long time to just show up at a worksite with little or no warning. It's not like an EEOC inspection where they say, hey, let's schedule it with you and let's all meet together. Many times, you know, they might just show up at the worksite that they want to and say, hey, we're here to inspect. Um, one of the most important tips I can give you today is if that happens to you, don't panic. But make sure that your front desk staff and, and whoever might, you know, encounter these OSHA inspectors knows to simply ask them to return on another date, to coordinate a date, and that they should obviously let their counsel or HR folks know, and then contact your lawyer. And we can always help you out, and hope, hopefully then you can get prepared. There are a lot of things that can come out of these OSHA inspections that are completely unintended or could be explained better if a lawyer is involved and knows what to look for and knows what's coming up. So that's about it. That's about all that we've got for today. As always, should anyone listening have any additional questions or, or comments or thoughts on this topic or any other related topic, you can find Kimberly and I at Littler Mendelssohn. You can always email us. My email is najohnson at littler, L-I-T-T-L-E-R dot com. Um, you can find Kimberly at kdowd, D-O-U-D, at littler.com. We're going to continue to bring our candid analysis your way to help everyone here keep moving forward. Remember, it's a new day in America. The purpose of this program is to provide helpful information for employers addressing the latest developments in labor and employment relations. It is not a substitute for experienced legal counsel and does not provide legal advice or attempt to address the numerous factual issues that arise in any employment-related issue. To discover other labor and employment podcast series from Littler, the largest global employment and labor law practice, visit littler.com slash podcasts.